0: Chapter 16 of Gold Hunting in Alaska. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gold Hunting in Alaska by Joseph Grinnell. Chapter 60. February 8. Mr. and Mrs. Sams left for the mission yesterday. Harry Reynolds goes with them and will either stay there or go down to the Penelope that lessens our number but we still have eleven in the house C. talks of following them later there will be no more prospecting done by this company this year except by myself and that for birds i got a pair of mucklucks in trade and am now bartering for a pair of snow-shoes the snow is eighteen inches deep and very light and dry I shot four red poles near the house this morning. I would like to see it 65 degrees below zero, just for the experience of it. I have already shot Tarmigan at 44 degrees below, and could have stood it much colder without wind. February 11. It must be admitted that life is getting a little humdrum. There is nothing in particular to write about, unless one has a poetic turn. Poetry doesn't come to any of us anymore the poetry is wearing off from the lb and am and t company if i were a mark twain with humor to relate the doings of people about me i could write a few pages of good reading resources are unlimited to the right person applying the story of our fool's errand into this out-of-the-way country if written by an expert would be as rich a theme as one could desire but alas, I am only a bird hunter by nature, and a gold hunter on the Coac by grace of my father, and am unable to depict the fortunes of this crowd in an acceptable manner. There is unrest everywhere. All admit that they have been duped. Some are making the best of circumstances, but others are taking it to heart in a pitiful degree. Although for the most part good-natured, chagrin is the rule. There are many pathetic tales half hinted at. Men left families to live as best they might in vain hope, in narrowed circumstances at home, selling or mortgaging all they possessed to outfit themselves, confidently expecting to return with quickly acquired wealth. About 25 men have lost their lives so far from drowning, freezing, or scurvy, several of whom we know to have dependent families at home. It is worse than war for there is no pension. And then the ridiculousness of this mad rush. How a company of excited men followed an Eskimo three days across the tundras and over the mountains, only to be shown a little brook with the yellow mica glistening in the sandy bed, how another party had a sure thing, and several others got wind of it and followed, scarcely giving themselves time to sleep until they all reached the same spot together in a mood to fight but finally laughed at themselves as if provoked by a humorous ice demon several parties paid an old sailor at san francisco forty dollars each for a tip as to the exact spot where gold had been dug out fifteen thousand dollars in two hours with a jackknife they all met at the supposed place we have had the laugh on them many times though i failed to see the exact grounds the ludicrous sometimes changes to the doleful, even while I am laughing. We paid $600 a piece for our tips. someone says. Several have owned up that they followed the Penelope crowd into this country, believing that we had a sure thing. And the missionaries told us that it has been rumored that nearly 500 men came into the sound last summer following our scent. I cannot see anything funny about it, although some do. February 12th. This morning, after breakfast, I amused myself about an hour before service by paying strict attention to affairs about me in the cabin. It is astonishing how entertaining the meaningless, helter-skelter, careless conversation can be. And yet there are points. We are all doing something, if only yawning or looking out of the frosty window. CC is clipping Cox's whiskers and makes inaudible remarks rivers is shaving just like any other christian of a sunday morning miller alec clyde casey brownie and the doctor are reading i am writing at the table uncle jimmy is standing by the stove with his hands in his pockets facing the window and whistling a pail of water is set into the top of the heating stove and sizzles in varying tones all is quiet for a while when positions are changed ablutions are going on behind closed canvas uncle jimmy sits down on a bench and pulls his beard in a slow rhythmical motion he is abstracted cox tills a stew-pail with water pieces of ice striking the sides with a tinkling sound and puts it on the cook-stove Uncle Jimmy gets his Bible and sits down at the table, spending several moments in wiping his spectacles. He reads a verse and pushes his specs high up on his forehead, rests his head on his hand, and dozes off. Casey and Cox exchange some words about a shirt that has shrunken in washing. Rivers takes the thermometer and goes outdoors, returns, saying that it is 30 below, and bids me put that in my diary. Clyde brings his camera outfit to the window and explains what the several pictures represent. Cox asks me to blow out the lamp if I don't need it, which I do. Cox gets a book and sits down near the window. He lights his big corn cob and, after putting several dense clouds of smoke, asks, Will I disturb you smoking, Uncle Jimmy? The latter says, Oh no, oh no. Rivers gets Hamlet and sits down to the table to read. Cece is in his bedroom humming a tune ceases humming and whistles is again humming whistles sings the doctor gets up saying uncle jimmy i didn't know i took your bible goes into bedroom and puts on hood and mittens says he is going up to see bents and the morning passes while i see and hear much more of no greater importance than what i have recorded half past eleven the natives and the cablunas begin to arrive for church C. speaks, and as usual, we all listen. Is it monotonous? Does one think who has not spent months in a cabin with the same faces and the same voices and the same routine of endless twilight? I marvel how some who have not inward resources can endure it. I let Singato have my shotgun yesterday, and he brought me four tarmigen, two of which were the rock tarmigen, which I have not before taken, I wanted to skin them today, but Uncle Jimmy wouldn't let me. If I insisted, Casey said I might, from Uncle Jimmy's threatening look, precipitate a roughhouse. I put the birds away to freeze until tomorrow, so there is no further danger of a roughhouse. Last night, we had the most beautiful aurora of the winter. The more brilliant display was south of the zenith, although there was scarcely a part of the sky which was not illuminated at some time broad curtains of pale blue light seemed suspended in the heavens they were constantly changing in form and intensity and waves slowly swept across them as if they were disturbed by a breeze the lower edge was the brighter and alternate light and shadow chased each other endlessly from west to east the effect was like that of a stage with the curtain drawn with a succession of persons passing in front of the footlights and then there were ribbons of light sweeping slowly across the sky. These bands were often abruptly broken and continued at right angles with the other section. Little patches of light, like a fleecy cloud in a sunny sky, appeared for a few minutes to gradually fade out again. There was no moon, and yet the landscape was illuminated as if by the brightest moonlight. But there were no shadows. February 17th alec miller and casey started back up the river and brownie went with them the four agnes Boyd boys who came down with cece also went up and two of the hansen boys with them yesterday casey clyde and three of the iowa people also left and will catch up with the first party at ambler city alec miller clyde and brown will return in a month the party had two sleds and four dogs the cabin seems almost empty we have had from 11 to 18 sleeping and eating here for the past month or more, and now we are only six. The comparative quiet is a relief, and I shall be able to do more studying. I want to read some more books as well. I expect we shall be few in numbers from now on. When Alec and Miller get back from the upper camp, they, with Cece and Rivers, are planning to go down to the vessel at Esholtz Bay. Casey, our engineer, will stick by the Helen until the river opens. I am going to stay here until the Helen picks me up on her way to the mm. Sound. I can do more work in the spring collecting with a warm cabin to dry specimens in, than chasing over the country prospecting with a will-o'-the-wisp in view. The weather is very gloomy. The air is heavy with mist and full of a fine frost which falls constantly. The sun, although it shines for several hours a day, doesn't get far enough above the horizon to get in its genial work. It was 45 degrees below zero this morning, and we stay in the cabin. Last week, Rivers and I were relieved from culinary duties, and Cox took our place. Coxey proves himself to be the best cook the Long Beach and Alaska Mining and Trading Company has produced we feel our loss in not having discovered his talents in this line before he has been too modest his art shall no longer be in obscurity he sits straddle of the stove all day long concocting original dishes and improving upon old ones he gives us a quarter of a pie apiece three times a day and as much as we want between meals his bread is perfect we had the finest kind of fried eggs for breakfast fish eggs the only impediment to his cooking, to my mind, is his inability to make mush. It is too thin. We have made a fortunate deal with the Hansen Company, who have 50 tons of provisions in their storehouse here, to get all the extra grub we need until summer. Their steamer, the Agnes Boyd, is nearly buried in a glacier creek, and it will probably fall to the Helen to ship their possessions down next summer. I was down to the San Jose cabin for dinner we were served to an individual can apiece of sauerkraut and sausages steaming hot i had been hunting across the tundra for several miles through the snow and my appetite was as keen as C's razor after he had stropped it on a section of the belt which was made at home and fastened around his waist with the charge that on no account was it to be taken off unless he was found dead in the snow it has his name on it for identification guy salisbury has just come up with dr coffin to stay with us for a few days visit we have plenty of room now and are ready to receive in decent style february twentieth twelve o'clock noon cox and rivers and i are the only ones in the room the rest are cutting wood the sunshine is flooding the cabin with light, although the thermometer shows 40 degrees below zero. One of our Eskimo neighbors, Potluck, is visiting us, probably more for the benefit that he drives from the stove than from a particularly friendly feeling. His little girl is with him and is romping around the room like any white child. Kopuk is the prettiest native child I have seen. She is four snows old so potluck tells me her costume is typically eskimo a heavy deerskin parka with a big hood lined with wolverine strips of mink skin hanging from her shoulders and waist and deerskin komuks her hood lies back from her head exposing her black hair cut bangwise in front her face is round and fat and her mouth really very pretty she has shining dark brown eyes and perfectly white teeth at this moment, she is playing peekaboo with me from behind a chair. Her laughing face, surrounded by the broad fringe of wolverine fur, and her chubby figure make a pretty picture. I would like to take her home with me, but what could I do with her? If taken from her native climate, she would probably soon die. We have a new lounge, which invites indigence in an already lazy crowd. I have read over and over the six letters i received in the new year's mail it will be six months yet before we get any more we heard from an indian that harry k and sam's had reached the orphans home safely though they have had hard traveling saturday night brownie clyde two of the iowa boys and one hansenite returned having given up the trip they went only 15 miles up the river the snow is so deep they had to carry the sled in some places and those who are continuing with it have to double up with the loads that is go over the road twice in order to get the entire load up they will have a rough time brownie came near freezing to death and had to return this gave the other boys who came with him an excuse for returning brownie has been around home all winter not exercising much and was not sufficiently hardened for such a trip the first day after they had been out but a few hours, he sat down exhausted and said he would come on as soon as he had rested a few minutes. The old story. The boys had presence of mind to know what the real matter was and tried to get him to walk on, but he completely collapsed and became unconscious. They quickly unloaded the sled and several went on ahead to prepare the tent and get a fire going, while the rest got Brownie on the sled and hauled him to camp he was finally restored but a few minutes more and another would have been added to the coax silent ones it was thirty five degrees below zero not so very cold but his feet and face were frozen the boys plied the art of thawing him out so well that he will lose nothing but some skin he makes a pretty picture with a black nose his toes are sore too nothing will induce him to leave the cabin again it is no use making light of it it is dangerous traveling unless one is in the best physical condition and with proper clothes and outfit the rest of the party are used to it and we have no fear for their safety so many together can take care of each other brownie says that when he sat down to rest he only felt tired and a little numb this numbness crept on him with little pain until he gradually lost perception he says he felt good and didn't like to be disturbed he lost all power of movement and speech until he was warmed up and rubbed for two or three hours. Death by freezing must be very easy and pleasant. Perhaps it is easier to die almost any death than we suspect. I must have an argument with the doctor about that. Saturday brought me a new experience, that of writing a sick man's will. B, who lives alone in a little cabin near the first Iowa camp, is very sick and will probably die. He dictated his will to me in the presence of uncle jimmy as witness it apportions all his goods and possessions here which are all he has in the world among the residents of this community naming in particular several who have waited upon him dr coffin is willed to dory b is a queer character he is more or less insane evidently from drink the way he begs for hypodermic injections of cocaine and morphine indicates that he may have been a dope fiend he has been here since last summer for some time previous his record was not sustaining but his people thought he might be benefited by a change of climate he says his folks are well off and he doesn't want any of his things sent home the different camps are sharing in his care now and he may live indefinitely his legs are affected very much like the scurvy victims, though the doctors do not call it that. Several of the people have frostbitten cheeks, but otherwise this is a healthy neighborhood. What little sickness we have tends to make the well ones kind and charitable and helpful. They chop wood for one another, and in many ways give evidence of having sprung from a long line of Christian ancestors. I have heard that this is the case always and everywhere at mining camps and ours is a mining camp. End of chapter 16